Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of 2022 of Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. As always, it's an action-packed show, but as the new year begins, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to go to South Africa and discuss India's first test win. We're also going to take a quick look at the second test that's coming up. We're going to talk about the Ashes and what ails England. There's some interesting news from the Winter Olympics coming up. Here's Ayaz. Hello, Mr. Fantastic and uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, Well, you know, the last week of the year was extremely fruitful for India. I might say not so fruitful for England. Obviously, they've been getting a thrashing from England in the Ashes series. But let's talk about India first. Winning the first test match at at the Centurion, which is actually uh, the bastion of uh, South Africa, as we know, much like Brisbane was. It was, in my opinion, actually a very hard-fought match. The margin might suggest that India won very easily. The margin of victory was over 100 years. But there were spells of play when it seemed that India could be in, in deep trouble. Remember, in both innings, actually India suffered a collapse. They lost seven wickets for 52 runs in the first innings. Uh, it seemed that they might make 4, 425, 450. It didn't happen. They finished just a little over 300. And then the second innings, perhaps in the quest for quick runs to either force a declaration or in, give themselves enough runs to to bowl South Africa out in the second innings because there was threat of rain. Whatever the reason, India lost many wickets. Now, that's one area of concern, which I'm going to talk about in the second match. But winning the first match... So, once again, the bowlers took 20 wickets. And that's been one of the strong features of Indian cricket in the past five, six years, I think. Uh, Especially when playing overseas, the bowlers are consistently getting 20 wickets in in innings. And remember, overseas, when you play overseas, it's your fast bowlers who have to do do the bulk of the work. And this is what they did again. Mohamed Shami, eight wickets in the match. Just with Bumrah, five. But coming and picking up wickets when most needed, Siraj... A very good support bowler. Shardul Thakur, man with the golden arm. Didn't have as impressive a match as the other three. But yet, he picked up a couple of wickets too. And then, of course, Ashwin coming and finishing off uh, South Africa in the second innings with two last the last two wickets uh, to seal a win. And this has been the, India's lament in the past. However, it was KL Rahul's sublime century in the first innings. And his partnership with Mayank Agarwal, his fellow mate from Bangalore. Uh, 117 for the first wicket. That really created the platform for India to get past 300, be able to de- de- defend that score, you know, get a lead, and then put pressure again on the on the South Africans. So KL Rahul's was a you know an innings that is a dream of every opener, uh, almost faultless. The way he, he he left the deliveries which he didn't need to play, which for which of course. Uh, there is a lesson to some of the others in the Indian team, notably uh, Virat Kohli, who both innings got out playing far away from his body, getting the edge, getting caught in the slip cordon. And some of the others who didn't show the kind of resilience, uh, Pujara clearly, also Ajinkya Rane, after a, I thought an impressive 48 in the first innings, didn't redeem himself in the second. So, I mean, there were a lot of batting mistakes that obviously David and Kohli would have mulled over before the start of the second set. But the first test win was based on Rahul's century. And then, of course, the bowlers pulling their weight. South Africa, I thought, look, clearly you're not having enough heft in the batting. Apart from Dean Elgar, uh, who batted stodgily in the second innings and actually gave his side a glimmer of hope. And Babuma 
who made a half century scored runs in got runs in the second innings and uh, you know but he, nobody really to play the kind of knock that rahul did and therefore uh, i thought despite the good efforts of lungi and gidi kagizo rabata the team couldn't couldn't hold on to their record in the century in india had never won a match in the century in earlier they've taken a 1-0 lead in the series which is tremendous just to put it in perspective just to give you the backdrop india have never won a series in south africa so this now has created a great opportunity for virat kohli uh, rahul dravid and the rest of the guys to pull off a win at joburg johannesburg where india has a fairly decent record virat kohli has a fabulous record rahul dravid might recall his time at the at the wanderers that's this is the place where he made his first test century in 1997 but overall this is again a pitch which will help fast bowlers one can assume that the fast bowlers will do well and therefore it is incumbent on the batting uh, to to support their bowlers so india will need runs from the top order certainly from kohli kohli in fact got a strong show from of support from rahul dravid he was lavish in his praise of kohli and he said this guy can you know is just round the corner a big score because rahul dravid also mentioned that you know all three of them are going through a lead trot the three senior pros in the batting lineup that's kohli pujara and rahane and it's very rare that all three would suffer at the same time but that's happening which means that it's even more important that at least two of them click and then rahul is in form and mayank agarwal is in form and then you leave it to the bowlers so 350 375 400 is what india would want in the first innings it keeps you not just in the game but also gives you a situation from where you can put pressure on south africa and remember south africa south africa's batting weakened again mr fantastic with the sudden and premature retirement uh, from test cricket by quinton decock i mean you know he is one of those players who South African cricket has invested so much in, in terms of opportunities, in terms of time, in terms of whatever support he needed, and he's called it a day from Test cricket. He's kept himself open for white ball cricket and T Twenty League cricket all over the year, but all over the world. But it leaves South Africa extremely vulnerable because Decock at number six in Test cricket. I won't say you know obviously he's not in the same Adam Gilchrist class. He he is to South or he was to South Africa. what panth is to india and with a with a lot more experience because he's been playing for 7 8 years so that's a big big loss for south africa which is what makes india favorites in the second test match too yeah i mean speaking about the wanderers uh, india has never lost here they've won twice and they've drawn thrice uh, in fact it's debatable 97 probably was when india should have won but for rain which saved south africa so it's one of those rare away fortresses for india literally you know uh, and breaching fortresses has been india's theme for 2021 so uh, this seems like an open and shut case but then it's test match cricket nothing's quite ever as straightforward isn't it see south africa can put india into problems into trouble uh, under pressure if the batting comes good now when i say batting comes good from 250 280 and 300 is not going to be enough because india has potentially a very strong batting lineup but if south africa scores 440 450 then india will start feeling the heat and that's something that they need to guard against absolutely um speaking about the quinton decock uh, announcement uh, dean elgar said he was a little shocked to find out that quinton decock's uh, 
retiring altogether because uh, i think the original plan was he was going to miss these two test matches anyways for paternity leave reasons but now that he's given up the game altogether do you think this was also dictated by a lot of uh, things that happened outside of the game for instance him not taking the knee during the world t20 etc all of that i mean there's a lot of discontent it seems within the south african ranks oh i would certainly think so i mean there are many contributing factors and certainly not taking the knee during the t20 world cup is one of the reasons because he was uh, dumb from that match and then it seemed that he might retire from cricket altogether at that point in time he came back he kind of made an apology and then he was drafted back into the team and then he started this series i thought that he might actually miss this entire series because uh, of paternity leave but he played the first match and then what actually prompted him or precipitated this sudden decision is difficult to say but there is no doubt that south africa is going through major turmoil uh, you know there have been accusations of racial bias against people like even graham smith and ab de villiers so there is a lot that is happening it is you know trouble has been fermenting in south african cricket for the last maybe year year and a half i mean it goes on, goes back much longer but what is happening is that they first they lost players to colpack including somebody like duane oliver uh, who then came back because colpack is virtually dissolved because england is out of the european union uh, but south africa cricket the administration mark boucher still there graham smith is still there but it is clearly Uh, uh, an unsteady ship that is you know south african uh, african cricket currently today and without doubt the ramifications or the rumbles and the tremors will be felt in the dressing room which has to be so i think that's one of the reasons why quentin decock uh, has has taken the decision and you know mr fantastic what is emerging now not just here it happened in the, in the west indies earlier the players have so many more options in t20 leagues i mean quinton decock is a star player for mumbai indians he gets a lot of money to play for in, in a play in the ipl he'll make himself available to play in bbl the caribbean premier league uh, the 100 without any compunction now because you know he's retired from a format where even if you're playing 10 12 tests in a year that's about 70 80 days maybe 90 days touring and playing and that window then becomes available for you so that it's it's a little sad i think to retire from test cricket at the age of 29 but i it just seems to me that everybody has to come to terms with this trend uh you know to lose a talented player like quinton decock is a blow to test cricket but hey now what can be done hmm well let's hope that these things sort themselves out south africa is very important for the cricketing world and we do want to see a strong south africa back on the cricketing map Speaking of important teams and strength, um, how do you think England can come out of the funk they find themselves in? <laughs> yeah, this is a million-dollar question. I think they are just so so deeply mired in mediocrity and problems and defeatism that I frankly don't see them emerging so so swiftly. I mean, to me, there are only three guys who look like they may they can actually make it possible to whatever extent. One is Joe Root. you know he's magnificent 1708 runs in 2021 uh, he's in the form of his life he's currently for my money easily the best batsman in the world that includes williamson and steve smith and manas labushain and rohit sharma and virat kohli and whoever else you want to dimuth karuna ne you include all of them nobody's batting like joe root he's made a double hundred in india on a turning track he's made a 
double hundred in Sri Lanka on spinning pitch. He's made runs in England. He's making runs in Australia. So, he, but his form is just not good enough to lift the rest of the team. The other two players who can make it possible is Ben Stokes, who's looked a caricature, you know, pale shadow of himself uh, as a great all-rounder so far in the first three matches. Uh, what boggles my mind is that he's going there and playing as a stonewaller, you know, rather than as the authoritative batsman he can be. Uh, he's bowled reasonably well, not with so much fire, not with so much penetration, but his batting has been a letdown according to me. He's tried to hold fort when actually he could be doing much more, you know, scoring more freely and putting, converting or, you know, turning the tables on Australia by some attacking cricket. The third is... James Anderson, Jimmy Anderson. Now, what? At the age of 40, he's still delivering the wickets. You know, he's the guy who's troubling the Aussies. Now, he doesn't have support from the other end. Some of the selection that England have made has, again, astonished me. Not to play Stuart Broad. And he's hungry to play. He's been complaining everywhere. Any opportunity he gets, Stuart Broad is complaining that he's not getting a chance to play. He wants to play the Ashes. And he's got a very good record in the Ashes, though it may have come at home largely. It's the batting, of course, which is the letdown. Josh Butler not getting run. Johnny Bairstow not getting run. David Malan, the odd innings he's got. Rory Burns, Hamid. None of these guys, not one of them is clicking. Ollie Pope. Now, against Australia, in Australia, much as it is true for all other teams, you have to make 350-400. If you're getting that bowled out for 68-130, you know, these are scores that give you absolutely no scope no chance in hell to even compete. So that's the state that England find themselves in. And everybody's, you know, talking about how Ashes can produce magic and wonder and great show, great performances. I hope so. We're waiting to see it. But right now it seems like a gross mismatch. And it really, you know, it, it just lets down the concept of the Ashes as a as a major cricketing contest. Frankly, this is a no contest. Absolutely. I mean, this is worse than I don't want to call out any other teams because that just makes them look bad but it's quite terrible the quality of cricket that England is putting up uh, there's been a lot of experts from past cricketers who've suddenly gotten up and started blaming the county cricket quality and the fact that this is not churning out any international level players but it's not the first time we've heard this argument and it definitely isn't the last what is the next step for England as a cricketing country and I mean yes Australia is playing phenomenally well but this is more or less the same team barring a couple of changes that India beat uh, just 12 months ago. Yeah I mean look at England's performance harrowing you know dismal performances just puts India's magnificent show in perspective last season and remember India were without some of their best players Uh, there was no Virat Kohli there was no Mohamed Shami there was no Jasprit Bumrah uh, it was. It it looked like a, you know, after Australia won the first test, that it would be a whitewash. In fact, it turned out the other way around. That India went on to win two matches and the series. Now, what England can hope to do at best, they should hope to try and win one, if not both the matches. Very far fetched. Maybe draw, at least draw both matches. Again, to me, it seems far fetched. Can they draw one match? Maybe you know that will with a little help from rain or whatever or one great performance, it can happen. But the ignominy of this Ashes defeat will not be washed away by one draw. You know, if they win two matches, that will be great. I mean, it'll look like a remarkable will come back and a lot of critics will have to eat their words. But what I think is also true, when you look, I mean, they're just looking so incompetent and so thoroughly incomplete in their cricketing 
skills to play in Australia. That it, it just means that yes, they need to relook at how their domestic tournament or domestic cricket is being played because they are clearly not churning out players of uh, international potential in red ball cricket. Apart from Joe Root and you know Stokes and Anderson, and to an extent maybe Broad. There's nobody who looks world class. Maybe David Malan's having a decent season. Yes, and he was actually he doesn't look. He was he was actually touted as a white ball specialist, you know, and he's making runs here. So Australian pitchers pose a different kind of challenge. They look completely unprepared, inept, and intimidated. And I don't see how they can reverse this trend. Well, let's hope that the next two test matches do put up a decent fight. It's always good to see these two teams battle it out. But uh, what we've seen is, uh, well, it's, it's the, the only comparison really is David against Goliath. And it's not fun as a fan of the game, to be very honest. Well, moving on to some other sports that's coming up. There's some interesting news from the world of the Winter Olympics that are uh, scheduled to happen in Beijing this year. Arif Khan uh, will be representing India at two events in skiing at the Winter Olympics uh, later this year. What do you think about this, uh, Ayaz? I mean, A, Olympic sports, B, Winter Olympics is hardly even on anyone's radar in India. But for an Indian to represent that, I think it's a moment of serious pride. It is. It is. And it also shows that there is opportunity to be exploited going ahead. Uh, I mean, India, by by common understanding, is a very, you know, it's got temperate climate, not too much snow, etc., for winter sports to be encouraged. But there are pockets, uh, as we've seen in India, where you can pursue, you know, winter sports. Uh, and it's not just in India. You can train overseas and compete. So, Arif uh, making, it, making the cut... Uh, is a very good sign. It's very good news. You know, basically, any sport needs role models. And if you can be that, if it is telecast well, if it is covered well in the media, and if he does well, reasonably well, then I think more and more people will be inspired to look at, hey, you know, it's just it's not just the Summer Olympics. There is an opportunity available even in the Winter Olympics. The big question, of course, is, I don't know what the status is right now, but the Western world were looking, there were calls to boycott the Winter Olympics from, from the US. Uh, I don't know whether the European countries have uh, will exceed or not. Certainly all of them will not. But uh, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be a very newsworthy Winter Olympics, I can tell you that. Well, uh, thanks so much for that, Ayaz. And moving on now to the world of football, where there's a lot of action coming up in January. And a lot of it will also be off the pitch with the transfer windows opening up across most of Europe. Newcastle United, who are now the richest footballing club in the world, are well set up to spend almost up to $200 million. One, with the aim of coming out of the relegation zone. And two, to just bolster up a team that doesn't seem at present uh, fit to be playing in the first division. We'll be back next week with the roundup of the Ashes test, the India versus South Africa test, where we've just found out Virat Kohli will not be playing. But more on that next week. Thank you so much. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Thank you, Mr. Fantastic. We'll catch up next week. This is a this is a big setback, uh, as you just mentioned while we were recording this. That Virat Kohli is not playing the second test uh, because of back spasm. That you know, in a sense, takes away a lot of heft from the Indian batting psychologically, at least for South Africa, because Virat is Virat. Uh, hopefully, Hanuma Vihari will fill in his his shoes adequately. But more and more onus, I would say, on KL Rahul and the bowlers, and of course, don't forget Pujara and Rahani. Yeah.